The absolute opposite. In fact, you don't want your daughter to date that dude at all. No, it's fun. Hey, really good to be here today. Can I just tell you a couple of things? First of all, thank you so much for all of you who gave to our bingo night. Amazing time. We, we raised over $2,000 for that night. It was a great time. Uh, people, I can tell you, get a little serious about their daubers. I'm telling you. So, so listen, I want to tell you this. Because it was a big fundraiser, there's definitely some room to still continue raising some funds. So I would challenge you that if you w- wished you were there, you wanted to give, or you want to be a part of that, go to the pscc.net website and click give, and go to the drop-down menu, and then you can go ahead and select special and put in there for the camp's scholarship, because that's what we're trying to do, is raise money for kids to go to camp. A lot of fun. I think kids are going to get transformed, and we're going to see their lives move forward as they journey this course with Jesus as well. One last thing I was going to tell you is thank you also to the district office, to uh, Rich Clark, Dave Waite. Uh, What they did is they went and put a little bit of a a little updo on our bathrooms. So can we say thank you to those guys? Way to go. It's great. Make your way in there, and uh, ladies, knock before you walk into the guy's bathroom, but it's pretty cool in there. Just kidding. Be kind of funny. Hey, last week, uh, you got this here, Pastor Steve. I hear he did a great job. Way to go. You now realize that he's the super smart one. And I realized when I was at his church that I couldn't compare with his smarts, so I thought I would just be funny. I crushed it. It was awesome. They're like, man, you're really funny. It had nothing to do with spirituality, but I was like, I got to do something because he is smart. No, it, it was super good to have him there. It was good to be there at his church. First time we've done that ever, and it doesn't happen a lot. Churches are weird, man. We get super protective about our people and this or that. And I'm just kind of convinced it's not my church. It's really Jesus' church. So if you give me an opportunity to go somewhere and him to come here and, and hear from somebody who's super brilliant like that, man, bring it on anytime. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father's Day. Father's Day is one of those moments in life. I think personally that this is one of the most important messages I'll preach all year. I think it's huge. The role of a dad is amazingly, it's enormous. In fact, if you're a dad here or a dad-to-be, will you stand up right now? Can we just say thank you for all that you are and all you're doing? Way to go. Come on. Awesome. Thanks, Dad. Way to go. That's awesome. Many of you here today have great memories of your dad's. Many of you have wonderful memories that will stay with you for the rest of your life. Some of you have some memories that aren't so good. Some of you have memories of dads who cared and some who seemed not to. You have memories of dads who stood to protect and some of you have memories of dads who abandoned their post. Some of you have dads who did their best and some who gave up trying. The father's impact on us is enormous. On purpose or by default, God intended it that way. God intended that the role of a father would be a polarizing thing. I mentioned to our, our, our pre-service prayer time this morning that the, the, the talk or a message or a sermon or any topic dealing with the role of a dad is polarized. It's polarized. It's either super awesome or super painful. Rarely is there some middle ground where there's this kind of like, eh, indifference towards the role of a dad. It's just somehow, it's, 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 it's laced with, with all sorts of emotion, one way or another. You don't have to believe me if you don't want to. You don't have to believe me if you, want to, you don't want to, but I'll tell you this, if you really want to see how, how amazingly important this role of a father really is, 
you can come hang out with me for a week and just watch what I see in the lives of people and the impact that a father played in their life. It doesn't take long to see the, the hurt and the pain surface. It doesn't take long to see the strength and encouragement just come to the surface. Oftentimes, it stems from this dad role. I mean, I'll say it again. I've said it in the last several weeks through our series, Inside the Wire, that I believe that the family institution, the, 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 the core of this thing called family is the most important, the, the, the most important and most powerful institution on the planet. I, I have no doubt of that. The devil's been trying to twist and contort and define. And if there's one role that the enemy has used Hollywood or music or or just our culture to to sort of minimize, it's that role of a father. It's that role of a father as if it's some sort of a sheepish, spineless, feminine uh, kind of personal whatever. And that person sits like, uh, more often than not, the, the, the father is depicted in, in, in some sort of a sitcom as, as a, com- a comedic relief or some sort of a piece of wallpaper that sits there minding his own life and having no impact on the family. Little do they know the impact is great. Whether that father's present or absent. Why? Because God made it that way. His intention was that we would see the role of a dad That we could look at the role of a dad or the role of a father and see a mirror image of who he is. It was supposed to be this place where we could say, God, I don't know who you are. We were supposed to be able to look at this role of father, be it in your own life or in someone else's world. And you could look across the way and see it and say, ah, that's what a dad's supposed to be. That's what God is supposed to look like. And we were supposed to look at a dad and say, that's what God's supposed to look like. A loving, caring, strong, commitment, a faithful father. And yet we bump often into just the opposite. Some of you here today are, 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 are here reeling from mistakes that you wish you could take back. Some of you here this morning are at a place where you're like, man, I wish I could have a big do-over. And, and I'm, I'm here to tell you this. You don't think so, but you may not even think, but I'll tell you this, it's not too late. It's not too late, first of all, to get your heart right with the Lord and get him to bring some healing, but it's also not too late to impact those around you. Whether your kids are here or not, you watch and see the heart of a father God can bring to heal you. I can tell you as a, as a dad who wasn't raised in a family with a great role of a father, I can tell you that, that, that God did this crazy, and I didn't have the, the, the details on how to make this dad thing work. We've raised three kids. They're all moved out. And in and, and, and this whole journey of fatherhood, I can tell you that the, the greatest, most healing moment of my life was becoming a dad because God showed me who his father heart was by giving me a heart of a father. I remember loving on my kids or disciplining my kids or, or, or holding them up to a standard or telling them that's not how we're going to do this and, and walking through this whole journey and the Lord saying, that's how I feel about you. Where I didn't have an example, but I got to see an example. And I don't know how God did that, but he does that. And he'll do that for any of you. This, this fatherhood role is a big deal. I, I, would, I would love to play around and make light, and we'll probably laugh a little today, but, but I also know it's a touchy time. Some of you have lost your father. He's no longer with us. My biological father passed away not long ago. And I'd give my anything to just have a moment to have him come and tell me something like, I love you, or I'm proud of you. Just any of those moments. And why? I'm a grown man, and yet still that desire or passion 
It wanes with inside of me, and I desire for that. And the same for you. God can bring healing, but there's no measure of, of do-over that can actually just take away the pain by itself. Only God can do that. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. There was a study done years ago where in uh, prisons, I was told this message that in prisons there was this Mother's Day uh, case of cards that came into the jail. And so it didn't take long for all of the cards to be taken by the inmates for them to fill out and wish their mommies Mother's Day and send them out. And so all these inmates did that, sent cards. The, the, the cards lasted a short period of time. and They were all gone and they sent them all away. Uh, the, the same card company gave the same cases of cards to the jail for the Father's Day, and, and, and little to none of the cards were taken. Don't know why. You could do the math in your own head, perhaps. Well, the Father rolls and prays. It's amazing. Hmm. There's a story of John Quincy Adams, I believe it was him, sixth president of the United States, went fishing with his son, writes in his journal, got up this morning to go fishing with my son, took the boat out, couldn't find the oars. Boat was leaking. Lines got tangled. Caught no fish. Day wasted. Same entry was given by his son in, the, in his own journal. He said, got to go fishing with my dad today. Best day ever. I want to talk to you today about a dad who did it right. I want to talk to you this morning about a dad who did it right. I don't want to tear down on fathers. Sometimes pastors do that. We come to that place where we exalt moms and say, you're the greatest, and then we get to dads and we say, you're a turd. You need to fix it. I'm not here to tell you that today. I'm here to tell you. Sorry, I said turd in church. Please forgive me. But, but we get that idea, right? The, the, the whole point is this. I want to talk to you about a dad who did it right. In fact, the title of the sermon today is A Dad Who Got Dad Right. I want, to figure out, I want to talk to you about a guy in the Bible who actually did dad right. He figured out the dad thing, and he walked it out. He walked it out in front of his, his children. He walked it out in front of his community. He walked it out in front of his Savior. A dad who did dad right. Maybe that's you this morning, and you haven't been doing dad right, but you want to figure out how to do dad right. You want to figure out how to walk this dad thing out. So as we journey this course this morning, will you pray with me? God, thanks for today. Will you help us as we... Unpack your word and find out a little bit more about what it means to be a dad. You're amazing, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, Jesus just uh, finishes uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, not a real big lake, basically. It was called, today it's called the Lake of Gennesaret, but but still, the Sea of Galilee is about 14 miles long, I think seven miles wide. Really not that big, but, but, it, was, but it was pretty pretty good size. The Bible said Jesus was on the other side of the lake, and he was doing, this was the time that Jesus had healed a, a demon-possessed man. Remember, Jesus looked at him in Luke chapter 7 and said, hey, uh, what's the name of the demon inside of you? And he said, legion, and he cast the demons into a bunch of pigs, and then they jumped off a cliff. This is just after that. The Bible said Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples and comes back across the sea, or the shore, whatever it was, the lake. And he comes back and gets on this side of the lake. And it says here in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It says, On the other side of the lake, the crowds received Jesus with open arms. They had been waiting for him. A man named Jairus, 
a leader of a local synagogue came and fell down at Jesus' feet, begged him to come home with him. His only child was dying, a little girl, 12 years old. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. There was a woman in the crowd who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had spent everything she had on doctors and still could find no cure. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Pause. By the way, if you ever wonder in, about Jesus' humanity, Jesus' humanity, you know, he was God, but he was also human. This is a great passage of Scripture. You notice that Jesus didn't say, you touched me. He said, who touched me? Why? Because he needed to know, too. He was still human. He's completely God, completely man. I love the humanity that shows up here. Keep that in mind. Everyone denied it, Peter said. Master, the whole crowd's pressing up against you. But Jesus told him, No, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. When the woman realized that Jesus knew, she began to tremble and fell to her knees before him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and all that had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Pause. Understand something about this. This is a woman that was uh, hemorrhaging or, or menstruating probably for 12 years. Holy. Oh, just a, a mess, right? Super difficult, super painful. And, and here's the thing about that culture. You have to understand something, that a, a woman who was having that thing happen every month was considered during that week or so unclean. So no one could touch the person, a physical touch, hug, anything, because you would become ceremonially unclean. Imagine that this particular person had spent all of her money on all the medical things she could come up with, and still there was no answer. She was unclean. She knew it. People knew it. Twelve years' worth of people probably knew it at some level. She was literally a person who had been isolated and alone for that long. If a rabbi whom Jesus was considered at that moment would have touched someone with, uh, in that, that moment during the month, they would be unclean and unfit to do the job they were supposed to do as a rabbi for a said period of time until they went through the cleaning rituals. So for this woman to come up and touch Jesus was a super big risk because it would have made him and everyone around him unclean because they would have probably bumped into her. I love the fact that Jesus just didn't stop and say like, whoa, 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 you shouldn't be doing this. Jesus said, come on, man. Just walked right in and, 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 and got to help her and say, who, are, who did this? And once he found out, and what, once he figured what it was out, he didn't push her aside and say, you're crazy, you're, you're unclean, I'm unclean now. He didn't. He just helped her walk. And she, she got healed. And then he embraced her in the process. He says, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go down to verse 49. He was still speaking to her, and a messenger arrived from Jairus, from Jairus' home with a message. Your little girl's dead. There's no use troubling the master now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just trust me, she'll be all right. When they arrived at the home of Jairus, Jairus or Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in except for Peter, James, John, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowds laughed at him because they all knew she had died. By the way, pause. When, when, how do we know that they knew? She, these guys, they were what were called professional mourners. When, when you would die, you would have your family who would come with you, but then you also would have a, a slew of people who would get paid to go to funerals and cry on behalf of your, your family. 
there were mourners. And trust me, if anyone knew somebody who was dead better than anyone, a mourner would. Right? They would know, right? Jesus saying she's asleep was a lot like the uh, Lazarus. You know, he'll, he'll raise him from the dead. He fell asleep, it says. That, that's the same thing. She really did die. Let's go on. Uh, where are we at here? But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said to her in a loud voice, Get up, my child. And at that moment... Her life returned. She immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. The parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what happened. And I love this passage of Scripture. There's so many things going on here. I'm telling you, the, the thing I love about my Bible is the slower you read it, the more you see. But watching this thing through, th- this, this particular passage, I think of a lot of them in the Bible, begin to show us a clear picture of what a father's role is supposed to be. I love it. You may not see it here yet, but I want to point out to you a a dad who did dad right. A dad who figured out his role and responsibility, and he did it right. I want to talk to you about a dad today who who didn't just uh, take difficulty and say, God, how dare you? I want to talk to you about a dad who, who, who took what was difficult and hard and said, listen, this is the assignment for me. And he began to walk it out, not only in front of his family, but in front of his community. J. Iris. He, he was a, a good guy. He, he was a synagogue leader. Basically, it's in, in a little town called Capernaum. Or Capernaum. And, and Capernaum wasn't a, a real big place. I mean, it was a, about the size of um, Carbonado. You ever been there? <laughs> little town, right? So uh, probably several hundred, maybe, maybe a thousand, but, but it wasn't far. It was just up the hill from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Capernaum, you can go there today. You can actually go and see the, the the, the synagogue that was there. Basically, a synagogue was kind of like a, a, a mini temple that you could kind of go to to weekly offer sacrifice or offer your, give offerings to the synagogue leader. And then three times a year, you'd make it down to Jerusalem to actually offer sacrifices of a lamb for your sin. But, but anyway, so, so basically, he was an elected official by the people and the Sanhedrin from Jerusalem. And his job was to kind of keep the religious function happening in this little town. And so, so, so basically, he was like the town pastor. The synagogue you can go to today, you can see three of the walls still erected, and you can see the floor, and, and it's kind of, the, the, whole, the whole synagogue itself may have been like the size of this section of seats. I mean, maybe a little deeper than that, but not that different, you know, and there were benches along the sides, you could go sit in there and whatever, but all that was there. You can kind of see Jairus had like the, the role of being a pastor of this little community. Now for Jairus to embrace Jesus was a big deal, because, because he was Jewish, and because he was supposed to uphold the Jewish way, to embrace Jesus would have been the opposite. Remember, it was the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, that those guys are the ones that eventually killed Jesus. And for him to embrace Jesus would have been a, would have been a huge thing because he was supposed to be anti-Jesus because this Jesus was basically saying to all of the, 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 the religious leaders things like, you're a hypocrite, or you're, you're, you're whitewashed tombs. I mean, he was, Jesus was lobbing some bombs. So the truth is, to embrace Jesus at any level would have been super risky. It wasn't like this huge metropolis where he was just some unknown dude. Jairus was a very popular. People would have understood him and seen him from miles away. He would have been the guy that when he walked into a room, you started saying right words and no swear words. He would have been the guy that you walk into a room and you would immediately um, sit up straight and then start, start talking God talk because you want to make sure that he knows that you're somewhat religious. That's Jairus, right? They had a respect for him, maybe even a fear for him. And for him to somehow 
bow or, or, or come to Jesus would have been, it would, would have been monumental. Hmm. This is a dad who did dad right. What does a dad who does dad right look like? Number one, a dad who does dad right, who does the role of fatherhood right, number one is this, goes where Jesus is. A dad who does dad's right goes where Jesus is. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40, on the other side of the lake, the crowds received Jesus with open arms because they had been waiting for him. The crowd had been waiting for him. How did the crowd know Jesus was going to come back? Well, they knew he was going to come back. He would come back all the time. It would have been so much easier for Jairus, being the position that he had, would be to send someone to the the shore and said, listen, when Jesus comes in, tell him I need him, but don't tell anyone else. He could have done that. He could have just, uh, he could have gone there and waited until it got dark and then snuck up on Jesus like Nicodemus did in chapter 3 of John when he said, hey, what, is it, what do I need to do to get saved when Nicodemus approached him at night? He could have done the same thing. He could have snuck up on Jesus. And, and instead, you know what the Bible says? He went to where Jesus was. He went to the crowd that was waiting and waited. What must that have said to the onlooking religious people? They must have been confused. Or maybe they thought he was going to attack Jesus when he got off the boat and tell him, stop doing what you're doing. Instead, Jairus goes there with a need. Jairus went and found Jesus with his need. Let me tell you, dads that do things right, dads that do things right realize the need in their home, and then they go to Jesus wherever Jesus is. Dads that do things right stop and say, you know what, I can't fix this on my own. Too many of us dads, we just want to, we want to solve the problems. We just want to fix it or, 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 or yell it or, or, or scream it or demand it. Jairus just simply says, you know, I'm going to go where Jesus is. Because dads who do dad right come and they say, listen, i got to go where Jesus is, and I need to go be there with him. That's what dads that do dad right do. They go, they go find Jesus. They, they, they go searching for him. They don't wait for their wife to bring Jesus home from church. They don't just run off into the woods and say, I'm going to my church because I I see Jesus in the woods. Man, you might see Jesus in the woods. Good for you. Go up there and say hi to him. But come back to church because Jesus said, well, you're gathered together, that he's here in the midst. See, dads that do dad right, they they, they seek Jesus. You know, I, I, uh, I, I was... My, Polly and I live uh, in this house that we bought a while ago, and, and the Puget Sound's all over the place, and I saw a guy, a friend of mine, bought a boat. And I thought to myself, like, I don't know if I could ever buy a boat. Because, I, I, you know, I hear that they're a money pit, you know, and you never turn around, you're always buying something, fixing something. You know, you don't, you don't have the weather around here to sustain a boat that's always working, so you're either storing it or taking it out. And I, I just, and I have a couple of friends that have boats, and I thought, I wonder if I could ever buy one. I wonder if I could ever just do that. And again, I don't know if I ever will, but the but I thought to myself, I don't know all the do, I don't know all the stuff. I don't know how, if you're supposed to call the, the, the rubber things on the side bumpers or fenders. I don't know if you're supposed to tie it up or leave, whatever. I, mean, I don't know all the stuff. There's certain knots you're supposed to tie and certain etiquette by, you know, passing on certain, I mean, there's all the things. Right? I don't know it. And here's, here's what I was thinking today. I thought, you know what? If I bought a boat, I'd figure it out. Eventually, I'd figure it out. And here's why. Because I'd probably ask a couple of people, hey, so what do you do when... You see, sometimes I think dads, we get this idea that since we don't know how to do it, then, then, then we just have to keep doing it wrong. I just want to tell you this, dad. Most of us don't know how to do it. So ask somebody for help. 
Find Jesus for sure. Talk to him, but find somebody who knows Jesus better than you do and ask him. See, dads that do dad right, they, they go find Jesus. They pursue him and they say, let me figure this out, Jesus. I gotta come to where you are. I love the fact that he faced his fears. He went straight into it. He didn't hold back. He didn't fear the pressure of the community. He straight in went in there. Number two, not only did dads that do dad right go where Jesus is, but number two, they hold nothing back. Luke 8, 41 says this. Now a man named Jairus, the leader of a local synagogue, came and fell down at Jesus' feet, begged him to come home. Fell down at Jesus' feet. I love this because Jairus, not only did he come to find Jesus, and, and, and probably everyone would have parted when he was there, but you know what the Bible says? He didn't just lean up to Jesus and say, hey, can I have a minute? Hey, hey Jesus, can I, can, I, can I have a minute with you? I gotta talk to you privately about something. You know what Jairus did? The Bible says he fell at Jesus' feet. You have to know how big a deal that was for a rabbi, for, for, for a synagogue leader to kneel down. You gotta understand, back in those days, a, a rabbi, a, a Jew, they were rock stars. I'm not kidding. A rabbi in, in, in that whole region was a rock star. I mean, they, they would, autographs, I mean, it was a big deal. If you, if you could say that, hey, I spent time with a rabbi. Remember when Paul wrote that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel? You know, super big deal guy. I mean, that was like, there was nothing greater than to say that you sat at the feet of somebody like that. To, to sit at the feet of a rabbi, I'm telling you, big, big deal. Synagogue leader, he shows up, super smart, all that. You have to understand. For him to kneel down, fall down at Jesus' feet, by the way, that, that, was, that was worship. He was offering Jesus worship. And you ever read your Bibles when the Bible says that somebody fell down in front of some sort of a being and that being says, no, no, get up. Usually if they fall down in front of an angel or something, the angel won't receive worship. And they'll say, get up. I'm not worthy of that worship. Only God is. You know when he fell down at Jesus' feet? You know what Jesus did? Received it. He received his worship. This dad not only, not only went to see where Jesus was, but he held nothing back. Let me tell you, dads that do things right, they don't hold anything back. In fact, I love the fact that this, this Jairus fell down in front of everybody. I mean, there was, no, there was no turning back. He completely humbled himself in this moment. And then to boot, you know what he did? He said, you gotta come home. You gotta come to my house. I mean, who knows if Jesus had plans? All I know is whatever the plans were, change that moment because Jairus fell at his feet in humility. I wonder sometimes if, if, if that's like the missing link, if that's some place in our life when, when, when God wants to move on your behalf and he's just like, I just want them to humble themselves. If that moment, what would happen if you, were, if you were to show Jesus in you in public? What would happen if you were to show Jesus in you in public? I don't know. Maybe Jesus would come to your house. Maybe Jesus, I don't, I'm just being a little tongue-in-cheek, but I'm trying to say, I think there's a point at which some of us as dads who do dad right, you, you gotta be, you got to be allowed with your Jesus. you got to be out loud for your kids, for others to see. The Bible says he fell down in worship. Listen to this statistic. I mentioned this a few years ago, but it certainly bears repeating. If a young person surrenders their life to Christ, there's a 19% probability that they will reach their families for Jesus. If a mom surrenders her life to Christ, somehow statistically they found out that 32% probability that they will reach their families for Christ. If a mommy surrenders her life to Christ, there's a 32% chance that her whole family will come to know Christ. If a father surrenders his life to Christ, 
there is an 82% probability, an 82% probability that the rest of their family will surrender their life to Christ. I don't know how they come up with that statistic, but it just shows me this picture of the, the authority, the impact, the example that God intended for the role of a father to be. Let me tell you this, folks. If you, want, if you want to have your kids follow Jesus, if you want to see your kids learn to worship, let me tell you this. Don't take your kids to the coolest, fanciest youth group because that's where it's going to be. Don't take your kids to the church that has the cool kids program because they're going to teach them about Jesus. You, my brother, are the one teaching them about the importance of Jesus. Like it or not. Let that one sit there for a minute. You have greater impact than any youth pastor or children's pastor could possibly have. Right now, if I hit the pause button, some of you are thinking, oh, dear heavens, what have I been showing my children? Three words. It's not too late. Four words. Hmm. Dads, you do dad right. Number three, faces God's timing like a man, not a boy. Dads, you do dads right. Face God's timing like a man, not a boy. I remember coaching high school football. And it was just so funny because boys, boys want to be men. They want to be called men. They want to act like men. They just do. And it's intrinsic. It's inside of every boy. They want to become a man. They want to be the, the, the worker. They want to be the soldier. They want to be the fighter. They want to be the whatever. Little boys want to become a man one day. That's just the desire and the drive inside of them. They want to be that way. I remember as a high school football coach telling kids, when they would make a good decision, we would either say, you know, as coaches, that most of the coaching staff were all believers. They, most of them went to our church in Ording. It's crazy. But I remember talking to them. And every now and again, we had this we had kind of this verbal bag of, of uh, treats that we would hang out, hand out to kids. One of the, the best treat that a coach could hand out to a kid, in my opinion, back then, well, here's, what, here's what we would say. That was a man decision. They'd do something that was like mannish, you know, like they would cover and protect some teacher that everyone else was kind of jamming on. They would say, you know, other teachers would be like, oh, she's terrible, they're horrible. And some kid would stand up and go like, no, 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 she ain't like that at all. And, like, and, and then we'd pull them aside and whisper in their ear, that was a man decision. Or, or they would fess up and take, take, take the punishment themselves. You know what? I was late. I do have to run the extra laps. Instead of denying it and saying, uh-uh, wasn't me. <laughs> we'd look at them after they came back all sweaty, and we'd say, you know what? That was a man decision because men take responsibility. I loved it. And, and you should see these guys. And they could run until they were, their, their legs were falling off. And they would come back. And as soon as you said that was a man choice, they'd all stand up. I'm a man. I got to tell you a story. It's kind of funny. My son, uh, if you know my son at all, he's 26. Uh, he, he has the, the fortunate or unfortunate blessing of having the same voice I do. I'm 50. He's not. My voice has dropped a little. His is still pretty high. When he gets excited on the phone, he, he starts to talk, and his voice escalates, gets higher. So he was on the phone talking to an operator about something he had ordered from Amazon or something didn't come in, and, and the person on the other side says, ma'am, you need to calm down. He goes, I'm not a ma'am, I'm a sir. <laughs> True story. I'm a sir. You got to tell him that when he shows up. No, I'm kidding. A dad who does that's right faces God's timing like a man. God's timing. What do I mean by God's timing? The Bible here says that Jairus had Jesus where he wanted him. 
He was going to bring Jesus back to his house, and as long as he could get back to his house before his dying daughter died, then he could heal his daughter. And he knew that that was going to be the most important thing. Jesus, he falls down and worships. Whatever the case may be, whatever his motivations were, Jesus starts to make his way to the house. On his way, a woman touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and Jesus stops the whole train. Stops, turns around, who touched me? And, and you know, oh, your sins are forgiven. And you can imagine that, that, that Jairus is like, get a move on! What are you doing stopping? Let me tell you this. Men wait. Boys whine. Tweet that. <laughs> Men wait. Boys whine. You know what we see what Jairus did when Jesus stops the whole journey? You know what happened? He waited. He didn't say anything. I don't know if he waited because he trusted. I don't know if he waited because it was good. He just waited. He just did he didn't say anything. There's a couple different accounts of this passage, and all we see is that Jairus stood there. I put, there's a part of me that wanted to not even include that part of the scripture, but it bears repeating because I, I was going to start the first half, and I was going to skip that chunk, and I was going to go back to the second half. But I feel like the Lord said, no, you don't understand. This is part of the journey because the dad who does dad right understands how to wait like a man, understands how to not rush out and do something impulsively. A dad who does dad's right says to himself, I have to, I have responsibility over my, my, my job, my children, my finances. I need to do it right. Because a dad who does dad's right has to be able to stop and say, I'm going to wait and not rush ahead. Why? Because those that wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. They will fly high on wings like eagles. That's what a man who does that, a dad who does dad's right, at some point stops and says, I'm going to wait, and I'm not going to just rush ahead. Even when disappointment shows up, I can only imagine, and, and to amplify it even further, the Bible says that at that moment, just as soon as Jesus begins the journey back again and tells everyone else, okay, hey, let's continue off to Jairus' house. Someone shows up and says, hey, you know what? <laughs> Sorry about that, but she died. Could there have been a more disappointing moment? I mean, how did Jairus have the, have the wherewithal to not say, come on, I thought you said. I mean, you know, you know the end of the story. He didn't. It wasn't like there was a lot of things, people being raised from the dead. Lazarus hadn't happened yet. And for him to, to show up and do this thing, it just seemed completely ridiculous. He should have yelled at Jesus and said, look, if you would have, if you would have but he didn't. Because a dad who did dad right waits. Some of us make these unspoken agreements with God. God, if you'll provide this job, then I'll give at church. God, if, uh, if you'll help me get that loan, then I'll go ahead and serve it in, in the church. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Some of you have been making deals with God far too long. We need to just stop and learn how to wait and say, Jesus, I want to wait with you. I want to wait for you to do your thing. Hmm. A dad who does dad right, number four, chooses to trust, chooses to trust. Luke chapter 8, 49 and 50 says, while he was still there speaking, a messenger arrived from Jairus' home. Your little girl's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. It's interesting because the next verse, Jesus says, but Jesus heard what had happened and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Why would Jesus say don't be afraid to Jairus? Well, maybe he anticipated a reaction. Maybe Jesus anticipated Jairus. Maybe Jesus could just see fear on his face. And it wasn't spiritual at all. It was just Jesus saying, I can see you're afraid. Don't be afraid. 
He said, instead, don't be afraid. He said, trust me. I love this because dads who do dad right, you know what they do? They trust. That they trust, that they, uh, like, like Dave came up here a minute ago and he talked about trusting God with our lives and with our finances and our lives. He trust, we trust God. If you're going to be a dad who does dad right, then you need to learn to trust him. When, when, when things are going well, how about when things aren't going well? When, when his daughter has died and there hasn't been a lot of examples of people raising up from the dead at this moment, and Jesus looks at him and says, trust me in this. It seems like a... A foregone conclusion. Why would I trust you now? Now it's over with. How can I trust you? You failed me, Jesus. Some of you have been in a position where you thought Jesus had failed you. Maybe you even feel that right now. You're here just begrudgingly because somebody drugged you here today or somebody's forcing you to watch this thing online, but at some level you're like, I, I don't trust him because he let me down. Could anyone but Jairus say that very loud and clear? Of course he could, but did he? No, he trusted Because dads who do dad right stop and trust. Even when everything looks like it's over with. Everything looks like there was a big failure. There was an absolute uh, neglect. Didn't seem like God even listened to him. He got distracted dealing with that woman. Instead, Jesus says, trust me. Just trust me. I can make dead things live. I can, I can bring broken things that are broken, healing. I can, I can take things that have never been as though they already were. Jesus says, just trust me in this. Dads who do dad right, trust. They trust. And finally, number five, a dad who does dad right feeds his family. Feeds his family. Jesus looks and says in verse 54, Jesus took her by the hand and he said with a loud voice, get up, my child. At that moment, Sometimes I wonder, like, why, why are there things in the Bible like this? It said that Jesus yelled in a loud voice. What, why, what's the importance of that? Personally, I don't know. I wonder if there were only in that room, Peter, James, John, the mom and dad, and the little girl, if there was something, he yelled it so everyone else could hear? Everyone else that thought she was dead? I mean, why was that important? I don't know. I feel, honestly, what I think it is, I think, Jesus, I think Jesus was just talking to this dad. And I think he was just looking at him and he was yelled, get up! I think he wanted to just snap this dad out of that moment. Some of us dads need to be snapped out of that moment. The moment we feel like it's all gone, there's no hope. And he says, get up, little girl. She stands up. And then he says to this, he says this interestingly enough. I mean, the first thing Jesus says isn't like, go embrace her, go hug her. Aren't you happy she's back? It's pretty great. She's 12 years old, he says. And, and why did he say to the dad, go feed her? Go, go feed your little girl. I mean, I wonder sometimes why some things are in the Bible because that would have been natural for a parent to do that. Of course, just feed your, God, your daughter. She's no longer sick. She's probably hungry. But Jesus says to him straight up, he says, go feed your daughter. What does that mean? You know, I, I sometimes wonder if it could be interpreted both ways, spiritual and physical. He says, daddy, listen, if you want to see your daughter completely restored, feed her well. Feed her well. What, what does he mean by 